Hi guys, and welcome back to Blood Girl Manifest Podcast. This is Brittany, and I am here with some special guests today. Anika is at home chilling while I'm on vacation here in Memphis with my family. So I decided to take this time to record with my mother and my sister, and we're going to talk about some uh, family trauma experience and how we're able to get through that as a family. If you don't already know, I have recorded a podcast. I was a guest on the podcast previously called the Brittany Mac Podcast. And you can find that on Spotify, I believe. Uh, I was a special guest on her podcast, and we talked about how my uh, relationship with my father has affected how I parent and how I love now. So we're just going to dig a little bit deeper in that and talk with my sister and my mother. So, guys, you want to introduce yourselves? Hi, uh, my name is Scotty Marie. I am a British sister, and I am 26 years old. Okay. Hey, y'all. <clears throat> I'm Brittany's mom. My name is Kim. I don't want to tell you my age. <laughs> I, Brittany and Scotty's mother. All righty. So, we're just going to talk about how... Um, our relationship with our dad, me and Scotty's dad, and you know my marriage to my mother's marriage to my dad, how it affected all of us and how it shaped us to be the women that we are today. Um, we are, from what we know, our dad's only two kids. I've always wondered if dad had other kids. Nah, but nah, he didn't. But um. Okay, so Mom, let's start. How okay. did you how did you meet Dad, and how did your relationship begin? Uh, your Dad and I uh, went to high school together. Mm-hmm. Actually, well, actually, from seventh grade all the way up into high school together, and um, we never really dated in high school. We we knew each other and knew of each other, but um, us personally dating, uh, we never did that. And um, after. We got out of high school in the summer uh, before I went to college. I happened to be walking somewhere um, from up from my house, and he saw me, and he stopped me, and we started talking. And so from that, um, we just kind of, he was going to school somewhere, college somewhere else, um, maybe about an hour and a half away from where I was, um, and Ironically, we both could not go back to school uh, mm-hmm. that third semester, and um, we were both kind of hanging in Sandusky, uh, Ohio, where we were raised together, and just kind of started hanging out. And then from that point, it just kind of got serious. So that's kind of how we got together. So you were friends first? Yeah, we were friends first. Um, yeah, because actually, I think I used to tell you guys that... Um, when we were friends, he was a pretty cool cat, um, and we hung out together and, you know, um, chilled together and, you know, drank together, be honest, and um, he was fine. It was only after, I guess, we got started getting serious that things kind of went a little in a different direction, so. Okay. So, guys, if you don't know um, our story, well, I don't think a lot of people know our story. Period. I don't really. think a lot of people knew that we um, were victims of domestic violence. 
when dealing with my dad. I don't think Scotty really got the end of that because she was much younger and didn't really see see that. And by that time, you and dad were kind of going your separate ways. I remember some instances. I can remember, you know, little instances where dad had, you know, physically assaulted mom. Mm -hmm. I was young, but I can remember it. Um, you know, when I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't remember much as much as Brittany probably saw, but I, I, I do remember a little things. Okay. So mom, what, um, did it change after you all got married or before you started dating? Or um, actually, um, it really started after, uh, Probably after we got married, I was on my way. Uh, I had joined the Navy after staying at home for about a year and, and deciding I couldn't stay home. If I couldn't go back to school, I was going to have to do something. And mm -hmm. uh, so I joined the Navy and I was in a deferred uh, enlistment program where I was actually out um, for 11 months before I had to report uh, into duty. So I stayed around home for like 11 months. And um, he was out of school too, um, working, you know, um, but not doing anything and not really making a decision on what he was going to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so uh, I went to uh, boot camp, joined the Navy, went to boot camp, did all of that kind of good stuff. And I came back home um, after boot camp and after uh, our uh, technical school. And uh, right before my first duty station was, which was in Guam, mm -hmm. and um, uh, he and I saw each other again um, during that time. It was right before Christmas, and I went to Guam in the early part of January, uh, and I think it was nineteen eighty-six, January, somewhere around that time, eighty-six. I wasn't at Guam maybe about a week and a half and was not feeling well and went to the um, uh, medic and found out I was pregnant with you. Mm. And um, so that's when, you know, I called him back and uh, called him or, or, you know, reached out to him and kind of told him I was having a baby. And um, he decided that he wanted to come to Guam. Mm -hmm. um, and it took him probably about six or seven months maybe even longer than that, to finally get to Guam. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we got married maybe, um, it was July 2nd, and probably about six weeks before you were born. So, Okay, so did you, did you really want to get married, or did you think no. that you, <laughs> did you think you could, were able to do this by yourself? No, I didn't think that I was able to do it by myself, and I really wasn't. When I told him that I was pregnant, I really wasn't prepared for him to make the decision to come to Guam. Mm -hmm. But also, too, I wasn't prepared emotionally or financially to have a baby 10,000 miles away from, from my family by myself. Right. So um, it was more for me of convenience just so that I wouldn't be there by myself. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know what I definitely did not want to send my baby back to Ohio. And right. me be in the military. I didn't want to do that. I didn't 
I've seen people who had, um, you know, had children and then they sh- ship the children back to their mother and stuff like that. And I was like, that's not what I want to do. Um, and so he came to Guam and um, it was really, honestly, um, it was really, um, you got housing if you were married. Okay. Uh, military housing. And um, that's one of the conveniences or the benefits of being married. And so um, it was just that for me anyway. Um, And sometimes I wonder um, to myself um, if what would have happened if I had really been honest. With yourself or with him? Well, maybe both of us, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, but um, we weren't there. Um, He wasn't there maybe two weeks before really the the abuse started. Wow. And um, it wasn't like he never hit me when I was pregnant with you, but he would really be just physically, I mean, uh, mentally and emotionally mm-hmm. uh, abusive. Because also, too, what had happened is he had decided that he was going to join the military Okay. after I had joined. And um, when I got there, I mean, when he got in, um, he got busted for drugs in his system. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that, um, kicked him out. And so, um, this was while he was in boot camp while he was in boot okay. camp. He didn't even make it to his first duty station. He was in boot camp and got, and it got, um, got kicked out. And, um, and that kind of, I, I think from that, he kind of felt some kind of way from that on a regular basis. So anyway, that was kind of. The situation. So the abuse started while you were pregnant? Yeah, more of it was more mental again, like I said, and emotional. It wasn't really physical. Okay. And not to sound insensitive or um, not to, hopefully not, this doesn't come over as insensitive to other people who are listening, but what was your thought process after the first incident and why didn't you leave after the first incident. I know a lot of people say, oh, why don't you leave? And I know it's not that easy to leave because yeah. I know our situation, but why did, why, why didn't you leave or what was your thought process? Well, um, after you, after I, well, the after the first incident, you know, just yelling and screaming didn't necessarily in my mind clicked that right. it was going to go, it was going to go left. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, you have arguments with people, you say stuff, you regret and then, you know, after you turn around later on, it's, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, right? Mm-hmm. So that was not necessarily, um, to me, an indicator that something was going to be wrong and I needed to go ahead and, and do something else. But mm-hmm. all that, at the same time, I was 23. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm 10,000 miles away from my family, right? right? Um, I'm now in the military. It's not like I can get up and go right. nowhere or, you know... Um, and uh, so uh, that was pretty much, you know, what my thought process was. Now, after it became physical when I when we were in Guam, I did leave and I went to a, um, I went to a uh, women's shelter mm-hmm. and they had to report it to my uh, leadership in the military. And when they did, they had a rule that. Um, whoever was in the military, whoever 
it was. If it was two people that were active duty, they both had to go through um, domestic violence counseling. Okay. You had to go through this class. You had to go there like two, two, two times a week. You had to complete it. If you didn't complete it, that was grounds from being um, removed okay. and, and, and um, dishonorable discharge. Regardless of whether you were the aggressor or not, you had to go. Okay. If they were a someone who was um, a, a dependent, he didn't have to complete it. So here was where he had jumped on me. I went to a homeless shelter. They reported it to my leadership, and I had to go through wow. the um, the uh, six or eight weeks of of classes. Um, and had to go or I was going to get kicked out. And he went to one and decided he wasn't going again. So. Wow. Yeah. It's just how those things <laughs> were then. Right. So, so, I mean, I, I cared for your father as a, uh, as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if I could say that there was any deep love for your dad. Um, and again, sometimes I wonder, was it my fault? Should I say, should I have? But at this point, once it became physical, I'm scared to death to say something crazy. You mm-hmm. know, like I don't love you or whatever. Um, so I don't know what that would have meant, right? Um, so, Is there any one particular instance that stands out more than the other? Oh, man. Um, yeah, there's, there's quite quite a bit. Um, there, were, there were quite some instances. He... Um, was very volatile in, in his emotions. And I, I think that had, I often wonder what happened to him when he was a kid, mm-hmm. right? Because he could click like that. Um, but um, I think, uh, you know, we had some incidents in Guam, um, the one that actually facilitated me going to the homeless shelter. Um we were driving in the car one day, uh, he and I, and you were in the back seat. Scotty, of course, was not born. You're still in Guam. And he said, I was driving and he was drunk, had hung out with it. We had a couple that we knew in Guam. She was in the military and her husband was not. And they reminded me so much of me and Scott because um, her husband drank just as much as he did. And they were drinking buddies and they were like F the military, you know, um, even though the wives were in it, you know, they were like, we don't care. You know what I'm saying? You can't tell, they can't tell us what to do. That kind of stuff. They were really belligerent, um, in that respect. Um, and we had been somewhere with them and I was driving, I was driving home and he said something crazy. And I said, well, you know, you can just go home. And I remember him punching me in the face as I was driving. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, okay. Yeah. With your child in the backseat. With my baby in the back. His and not our baby in the backseat, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just not my baby, you know, it's it's yours. And and I will be honest with you, every incident as incident I had with your dad took me further and further away from really caring for him mm-hmm. at all, you know. And it was just as incidents occurred, you know, my feelings for him as far as wanting to be with him mm-hmm. was diminished, you know. Do you think time. that do you think that he ever noticed that? And then maybe sure that's why, you know, he acted out the way he did. Like I love 
her so much or whatever, however he wants to or wanted to phrase it. And you don't yeah. as much as he does. You yeah. don't love him. I, and actually, I, I would I would really want to know how much he cared for me, period. Yeah. You know, because... Um, Not to cut you off, but do you think, like, uh, we call men nowadays who just jump from girlfriend to girlfriend and need a place to stay, we call them hobosexuals. <laughs> so do you think there was a hobosexual situation? No, no okay. I don't. I think, I mean, I think there was some feelings. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I really do. I think, I'm not saying that he didn't care mm-hmm. for me. I don't know if there was love, love. You know what I'm saying? Genuine love, because you just don't hurt somebody you care about. Right. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I know I often wonder, unfortunately now, um, you know, as things progressed between he and I, and it was like, you know, there was very rarely times that we could ever really be cordial with each other, even after we broke up, you know, mm-hmm. it's just because he had a deep, later on, he had a deep hatred for me, mm-hmm. I believe, just how he acted. And um, so uh, I, I guess we will, you know, now that he's he's gone, that would never be a question that we could ask, you know? Yeah. Okay. So after we moved from Guam, we moved to Alaska. Mm -hmm. And after we moved from Alaska, you know, I can remember things that happened in Alaska. Mm -hmm. And I remember one instance that kind of stood out to me a little bit. But um, after we moved to Alaska, we moved to, back to Ohio, Mm -hmm. to Sandusky with our family. Did you notice any, um, well, how old was I when we moved to Sandusky? Um, when we moved back to Ohio, you had to be, when I got out of the military, you had to be about six. Okay. Then shortly after Scotty comes into the picture, cause Scotty, I, had Scotty and, when and, I was seven. Yeah. Scotty and my, yeah, your uh, cousin, my cousin, cousin brother. Yeah. My cousin yeah. brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He came into the picture. Um, and Did then you? Scotty Marie came into the picture. Um, Scotty Marie came in the picture after, and you were close to being seven. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when I found out I was pregnant with her, you were six because y'all are seven years apart. Yeah. You know, um, and um, but it had been years when the doctor told me we weren't going to have any more children. Yeah. And um, so uh, we wound up taking in one of his cousin's children. Mm-hmm. And uh, he happened to be 15 months old when we got And y'all, let me just say, let me just say this. Being six years old and not having a sibling, uh, that little boy cut (laughs) up. He cut up. He cut up. I I was very resentful to my parents for just having another kid. And then on top of that, we get him. And then on top of that, oh, hey, y'all, I'm pregnant. Excuse the audacity. Excuse me. It was funny. I mean, six years of not. Not being, uh, being, I mean, you know, five or six years of being told I wasn't going to have any kids. And then, you know, he comes up around at uh, 15 months. And it was the same situation with you. I felt like I had the flu. Mm. I was, I just, I had chills. I was vomiting a lot of times. Went to the doctor. And I promise you, it was two weeks after we got it. Wow. And I went to the doctor and they said, Oh no, you don't you're not you're not you're not sick with the, the flu. You got the nine month well, you got the nine month uh, flu. You got, a, you got a baby coming. So um and then she of course she came. Right? Okay. So what does this now now you have two children by this person who is uh violent mm. and how does that make you feel? Um 
And how how did his attitude did his attitude change once we so, moved to Ohio and got with well, family? So so the thing about it is is that he was always the type of guy that wanted to be around his folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so Guam was out of uh, he was like a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. He didn't he couldn't adapt to being that far away from his people. Okay. Um, and and Alaska was the same kind of way, you know. Um, uh, he, I don't know how much he would have lasted in the military, even if he had have gotten, had not have pat, uh, failed his drug test. Right. Because he was just such a homebody type person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, uh, there was, there was definitely some things and some dynamics with his family, um, um, that he never resolved. Um, and I don't know if his family ever resolved. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and so when he got back to his family, back to Ohio, you know, drinking and smoking every time, every chance you could get. But um, remember when we first moved, we well, yeah, when we first moved, we lived with his grandmother for a while, and then I got a job about an hour away, mm-hmm. and we moved to Toledo, mm-hmm. and um, and then um, after being at in Toledo and working at the job I had for about two and a half years. Then that's when I got the job with NASA and we moved back to Sandusky mm-hmm. and I was driving to Cleveland at the, um, the NASA facility. And for a little while, or you know, just being a short stint, he was driving back and forth to Toledo because he had a job at a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, it was all about wanting to be with his folks. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, so do you ever think that you making more money than he made oh, definitely. was the issue? Oh, definitely. Definitely. That was an issue. And also when I was in the military, I had a top secret clearance. Mm-hmm. So um, there were some things that I could not tell him. Um, some things I just couldn't tell anybody. Right. Um, and that was something that I agreed upon when I signed my name on the paper. And I was and they told me this is your job. You can't tell anybody what you do. Um, and so um, uh, he had an issue with that. Mm-hmm. He really felt like I was holding secrets from him. Right. Um, he had an issue that I was, you know, getting uh, promoted on a regular basis. Um, he would tell me he was proud, but I, I knew that he he wasn't the trajectory of where I was going versus what he was doing mm-hmm. was not the same. It was not on the same plane. Yeah. Um, and, um, and he had problems with it. Yeah. Um, he definitely had problems with it. Um, Cause he would always let me, you know, we get in a fight or whatever. He started fighting. It was always, you can't tell me what you do. And a really funny incident is, is that we had the friends that I told you about in Guam. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something that happened between them two. And um, those that husband and wife and uh, she came and she told me about it and she told me something that was pretty personal. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, so uh, I went back and I told Scott and, you know, I told him, you know, this is what's going on between them two. Dada, dada, dada. And this is what, you know, and she went and he went and told the very next day he went and told him oh my God. what was going on. And that man beat her so bad beat her oh, up wow. and um then I felt terrible 
Right. You know, because I felt like, okay, yeah, we may have issues, but we are in this marriage together. Right. So you would think that if I can't talk to anybody, I could be able to talk to you. Mm-hmm. But you criticize me from holding secrets. And when I tell you a secret that may not have anything to do with my job, you go and you tell this man. Right. And he beats his, his beat his wife wife up. And so I was like, so I'll never tell you anything. I will else. never tell you anything yeah. again. Um it would be very, very hard for me to do that because I felt guilty because she got beat up. You know, I felt guilty going through the same thing that I was going through. I felt guilty that what I said to him in confidence he broke that, right. you know. But then, yet, that's a learning experience for me because she told me in confidence. Right. So, did you ever get a chance to apologize? To no, me? I didn't. She did not want to speak to me. <laughs> that's understandable. <laughs> yeah, she didn't want to have nothing to do with me after that. So, which I is very understandable, you know. And then, funny part about it, she talked her way out of it after he beat him. After he beat her up, she convinced him that man, your dad was lying. And so he came to work the next day because they both worked together. He was trying to whip your dad's butt. <laughs> and the funny part about it is, your father was scared of him. Wow. He was scared of him and he was running. He didn't want to fight that man for nothing in the world. He was running. But you can go home and whip your family like you Hercules, right. Hercules, but you out here with a real man and you're afraid of him. And so, you know. That's, you know what? Normally that's how that's, it goes. That's normally you how know? it goes. You, you know, so that, 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 that is an indication that there are some things resolved about you that right. you, and, and again, you know, we got to get away from saying uh, what's wrong with you, the people and really ask people what happened to you. Cause there's mm. always some yeah. traumatic event that gets people in situations that they right. are in. So, so, okay. You said that he was a family person. So how did we get to Memphis? If he Ooh. was, Wanting to, yeah. So, be, oh, if okay, let's before we get to that, what was the situation that happened with our brother? He was no when we moved to Memphis, he was no longer with us, yeah. He didn't come. Um, so we were like, we weren't necessarily foster parents, I guess we were in a sense. Um, and we were really trying to, um, uh, we were, we were considering keeping him and mm-hmm. adopting him, and um. The little boy was a family member through Scott, was Scott's family member. And um, Scott and his granddad, which would have been Scott's uncle, got into a big argument one day, real big fight. Scott was trying to beat his uncle up in the middle of the street. Yeah, got mm-hmm. a little bit drunk. And uh, they were trying to beat each other up. And Scott got mad. And I think what he was mad of is that he didn't feel like his uncle had took care of his his cousin, who was the baby's mother, mm-hmm. and she passed away, and that he wasn't really helping us at all with the baby, mm-hmm. and um, and so they, he just really felt like you know, um, Scott really felt like his uncle was had just mistreated the situation. Well, is it somebody else's obligation after you decide, hey, I'm going, I'm going to get this baby? If, if they wanted the baby, they could have gotten right. They, they could have, they could have, and um, uh, no, he didn't. He, 
it would have been your obligation. You stepped up. You right. been, I mean, are you stepping up to take, you know, to, to get something? Or are you stepping up really just to get this child out of the foster care system? Anyway, make a long story short, Scott was livid. Matter than a, and we weren't, we weren't, we weren't in at the scene at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, when the fight happened and all that, I wasn't nowhere around. We were at home, me, you, and because Scotty was a baby. Mm-hmm. We were at home. Um, and uh, uh, he came back to the house, and the baby and the little boy was there with us too. So mm-hmm. Scott was out doing his thing with his family, and like I said, got pissed off. Um, he came and he picked up some stuff, the baby stuff, and said, I'll be right back. I was like, okay. He was mad. He was hot. When he came back, he didn't have Kawan back. He didn't have him with him. And um, he dropped him off at uh, Human Services and told him he didn't want him. Wow. And um, I could not go back and petition to get him. Because at this point, if I was going to stay with him, your dad, they didn't want him nowhere around the baby at that point. And okay. so he went back in the foster care system for a little while. Mm-hmm. I don't can't remember exactly how long he was in there. And then um, uh, Scott's family was able to get him mm-hmm. and, um, and get him out of it. Um, and that is a guilt that your father never got over. He never, never, never forgave himself for that. And from that period, um, mentally, it messed him up because after he cooled down and after he sobered up, no, he could never get over personally taking him back and just dropping him off um, at the door. He just couldn't do it. Um, That was hard for him to do. And um, so because of that, I mean, there was really turmoil with him and his family after that. His mom was pissed off at him. His grandmother was pissed off at him. You know, his aunts and stuff were pissed off because he didn't have to do that. If anything, if you say you don't want him, then take him to the family, right? Um, and that's what he should have done mm-hmm. if that was the case. But um, he really, you know, it was yeah. just being intoxicated and with, with uh, and, and, you know, Drinking and all that kind of good stuff, never any of that kind of stuff never gets you where you need to be in your mind, and you make some terrible decisions. Yeah, you know, I can um just from our uh, conversations that I was having with my brother cousin, I know that he never got over that as well. Like I, I can just tell, like in the, some of the things he says, like he'll never ever say that you know, I feel like nobody wanted me or this and this, but I can just tell, like. The thing he says and how he moves and no shade. He's I see a lot of daddy in him. Like mm-hmm. not only does he look like daddy, but his emotions and yeah. he'll get mad about something. It's just like okay, well, just let me back up. Like, were you ready to talk? I'll you know talk yeah. to you. Um, so we you have family in Sandusky. Mm-hmm. Daddy had family in Sandusky, and daddy was still abusive in Sandusky. Yeah. Why did you not stay? And like, what what was it, the reasoning for you not staying with family? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just I, I. And let me be clear: like, this is not me blaming you no, or anything. No, I just want to uh-uh, no, know the it, reasoning it, behind it. It, it. 
it it wasn't uh, it's no blame really it's no blame um probably more now at this point it's just a shame you know there there comes a shame with domestic abuse mm-hmm. um and because you feel like you know um you should be stronger than that you know what i'm saying um and also keep in mind it's not like i wasn't a byproduct of domestic abuse myself okay it's not like I didn't see it in mm-hmm. my life, right? And I won't necessarily say that you begin to feel like that's how it's supposed to be. Because deep down in my heart, I knew I didn't want to be in that situation, right? And I knew that sooner or later, mm-hmm. I was going to get myself out of it. But um, there was no one at home that I would have entrusted to even tell my story about it and say, Kim and Scott is broken up, right? Mm-hmm. There's nobody at home. Our little town at, at home is so small. Everybody knows everybody's business, right? right? And um, um, it was just not anybody there that I felt like, okay, you know, I can trust them enough to to go and stay with them. And then where am I going to go in this little small town? He'll find out where I live. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, so, uh, and I didn't want to necessarily branch off and go live in Cleveland by myself with two kids, right? So um, a lot of it, um, even with domestic, um, victims of domestic abuse, they have to worry about, they got to matriculate what they're going to do with their children, mm-hmm. you know? And even though I was primarily a breadwinner, um, it's my still, that still is a complicated situation, yeah. right? So, but anyway, so. All right, so we moved out of Sandusky, moved out of Ohio, we moved to Memphis. Mm-hmm. We moved to Memphis, and we stay a couple of different places in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember us living on South Parkway, and I remember the whole dynamic. I remember what happened the day that you <laughs> decided you were done and you were going to leave and be done with it. Right. Walk us through that. So um, it's funny that after I got to Memphis, it seemed like um, – even though we had, uh, you know, some family here in town, um, I I kind of, by this time, if Scotty was born, I was about 30. Mm-hmm. And so when we got to Memphis, I was probably about 31, 32. And I, this little girl had grown up a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Um, had a real job, wasn't in the military anymore, had a real job, and um, was able to then had branched out, and I started to know people and, you know, get myself acclimated with the city and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but at the same time, I was like, I'm done. You know, um, uh, I didn't want to, I really knew that sooner or later I was going to leave him. I just didn't know how. Um, a lot of times, um, previously I look in the mirror and I was like, how am I going to be able to take care of him? I'm my kids by myself. And um, it got to a point, you know, after we had been in Memphis for a while, I looked at the times I had looked in the mirror before and I was guessing how I should be able to take care of my kids before. This one particular time, I remember looking in my mirror and saying, girl, you taking care of your kids. You're the one that's handling it. You can do it. Right. Um, And I started have, you know, could reach out and have a little bit of more of a support system. Whereas in Sandusky, I didn't really think I could have. But mm-hmm. in Memphis, I did. So anyway, um, he worked a job um, 
at a bank mm-hmm. and um, didn't make uh, as much money as I did, which was not really the issue. That mm-hmm. was not necessarily the issue. But of course, when you work in a bank every other Saturday, you're off. Mm-hmm. And so one particular Saturday, as you guys still know, uh, especially when y'all was growing up living with me on Saturdays, it was catch it day as far as I was not going to cook. Yeah. Everybody had to find out ham sandwich, leftovers or whatever. Yeah, they don't work in my house. Yeah, well, that's not (laughs) It worked in mine. So uh, that Sunday, I mean, that Saturday was just like every other Saturday. I cooked. Monday through Friday, and cook on, or we might go eat on eat something, which was always a Subway sandwich or uh, a... <laughs> y'all, uh, and to this day, <laughs> I would not touch Subway. Uh, a Subway sandwich or a uh, uh, church fried chicken oh or something. Oh, my God. Um, but uh, Monday through Friday, you know, we cooked and we ate in the house, and Saturday, I was like, that's my day off. And that had always been the rule. And funny about it, it I got the rule, really, from his grandmother, I don't think she cooked on Saturday, if I can remember. I think her her saying it, that's how we got the term catch it day, because I mm-hmm. think she said catch it day. Anyway, he came home from working 8 to 12, you know, because you're working on the so bed. 8 a.m. to 12 a.m.? 8 a.m. to 12 a.m. <laughs> 8 a.m. to 12 a.m. to 12 p.m. Okay. Because right. you know, you, <laughs> break is only open four hours on the Saturday. Okay. And he came home and he said, what are you cooking? I said, I'm not cooking anything. I don't cook on Saturdays. You know we don't. Just catch it. Mm-hmm. You know? So he had a big rigmarole and da 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 Okay, whatever. said, I'll go get you something. You want me to? I'll go get you something to eat. And he's talking all kinds of mess and everything like that. Um, and uh, I said, okay. And uh, it was nothing physical that day. But he said some things and he and he said some things to me before he left and he left. I don't know if he left to go get him something to eat or what he left for. But when he left, I told y'all, get you. It's time to go. I said, get y'all stuff. It's time to go. And I called a cousin who lived here at the time, told her, come and get us. And uh, then we had stuff in garbage bags, you know, and. um, Uh. They came to get us, and as we were getting in the car, uh, he was telling them, he was talking all big and bad then, you know, but he was telling them, I don't even hit her no more. You know, I don't even know why she's leaving. I don't even hit her no more. And um, by this time, you know, um, sooner or later, oh, if you have a water glass sitting under a faucet, even if it's dripping, sooner or later it's going to get full. Right. You know, um, and so I had had I was done, you know, at this point I was living with someone I did not care about. I didn't like you, mm-hmm. let alone to even say if I loved you. Right. And then it had been building up to that point. And so, hey, I got a full time job. I'm making pretty good money by myself. I didn't have a transportation, but I had a cousin that we could live with or stay with. And I'm just not going to take this anymore. And um, uh, we left. And uh, he did uh, come back maybe about two. Well, he came back like two or three days later. And he really wanted us to come back. My cousins then was like, "Y'all, you need to go back. You need to go back. And I was like, look, I am not going back. <laughs> I'm not going back. If I have to find somebody else to stay with, believe me, I will. But I'm not going back. And uh, he 
told me he he kept the house and he told me one day that he could not um, stay in the house by himself. He wasn't going to stay in the house by himself. He couldn't afford to pay the rent by himself. And that me and, me and y'all could come back to the house. And I'll never forget, me and you went. And Scotty stayed with the cousin. Because yeah. by this time, she was three or four or five yeah. or something. No, she's probably about four and a half, maybe yeah. five. And um, we, you and you came with me. We went to the house. And when we got there, he tricked me. And he wasn't going to give me the keys or something. And um, I had, um, I don't know if money exchanged hands or whatever, but I know he tricked me. And um, he and I got into it. And by this time, the water glass was had spilled all the way over. Mm -hmm. And for the very first time, and I don't know how long, when he got physical, I defended myself. Mm -hmm. And I remember we fought in every room in that house. I remember. And I was not going down with a fight. I Because I remember sitting you and Scotty on the porch one day. I don't know if y'all remember this. I'm sure Scotty don't remember. But sitting y'all on the porch one day, and I told y'all after me and him had gotten in a fight one time. I told y'all, we are not staying in this. I am getting out of here. I'm not going to let y'all see me in this situation anymore. And so then, like I said, um, when that last time we were in the house, I absolutely was not going to let that man whoop my tail. Yeah. And I put up. You put up, a, girl, you put up I, a fight. Yeah, he got some bruises and yeah. stuff on me. If y'all have ever seen uh, What's Love Got to Do with it, that ending scene where <laughs> Tina and Ike fight in the limo and Ike put them shades on, that's what it was like. Yeah. Ike was. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, Auntie I, and um, when we left, I went and I called the police because mm -hmm. I, I didn't feel like I could call them at the time. And when the police came and talked to me about it, they saw bruises on me. Mm -hmm. And they was like, oh, OK, don't worry about it. We got you. Because um, he had grabbed my arm and there was some bruises. Now, there wasn't. He was more messed up than me mm -hmm. uh, as far as him not. For the very first time getting his butt kicked mm -hmm. like that. Um, but they he didn't call the police on me. Mm -hmm. So I called the police on him. And when they saw the bruises, they were like, oh, that's evidence that she's filed a complaint. And so they picked him up and um, took him to jail. I think they got him like, like 4 o'clock in the morning. Went over to the house and got him. And, um, and so, yeah, that was the beginning of him leaving Memphis. Yeah. After that, because he said he couldn't stay, um, he couldn't stay in town anymore, and uh, he needed to roll. So okay. that's how he he got out and left. So, Scotty, I want to ask you how this how um, domestic violence and seeing your parents go through, you know, seeing your dad uh, physically assaulting your mother. How has that emotionally shaped you? how to love and how to process things and just just your day to day how is that how is that process made you feel well it's been very hard uh, growing up uh it's still you know stays with me to this day 
Um, and it has definitely had reflected on my romantic relationships. Um, How so? Because, like, when somebody says they love me, I don't believe them. Because it's hard for me to see how a man could love a woman after everything that I've seen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if a man says, well, I love you, I care about you, I kind of, you know, take that as a grain of salt. You know, I don't really believe it because I don't see how men could actually love women after what I've seen. Um, and that's definitely due to, um, you know, what he did and the things that he's done. So uh, definitely has put a major impact on how I view relationships and how I... Uh, process them and how I look at them okay now of course you were younger and you didn't see a lot of things that I saw but how was your relationship with dad as you got older and got to understand a lot more things that were going on well when I was little I was definitely a daddy's girl um (laughs) you know I absolutely loved my dad I loved being around him Uh, Because when it was just me and him, it was fun and, you know, uh, he did things with me and things like that. Uh, But as I got older, as a teenager, and I stopped visiting for the summer in Ohio, um, I could kind of see the kind of person that he was. Mm-hmm. And I started to resent him for it. And, um, you know, I kind of stopped just wanting to be around him, wanting, you know, that relationship again, because, you know, after that, I didn't really care. Um, and ever since then, ever since I was a teenager, we had a pretty strained relationship that we never reconciled um, because of that. So it's definitely when I was younger, I loved him very, very much. But as I got older and as I saw stuff for myself, um, I definitely pulled away from him. Right. So how did you feel now with him, and I don't mean to take over your podcast. Mm-hmm. But, You're fine. But how do you feel now? Um, how do, how do you feel that you were never able to reconcile him before he passed? Reconcile with him before he passed? Um, to be honest, I feel pretty indifferent. Um, you know, because I know all the things that he's done. And I know all the bad things that he's done. And when, before he died, uh, you know, we got into a lot of arguments. And he said some 
pretty bad things to me, and I said some pretty bad things to him. So, you know, I don't want this to sound horrible, but before he died, he was kind of already dead in my mind. So once he actually died, you know, it hurt, of course, because he's my parent, but um, it was just, I just didn't really, um, you know, it, it was just like, okay, well, you know, my dad's dead, I guess, I mean, that's it, you know? Yeah. That's, you know, how I thought about it, because, you know, like I said, we just really didn't have that good of a relationship before he died anyway, years before he died anyway. So I kind of just, um, you know, emotionally pulled back from him. And once I emotionally pulled back from him and after he had died, after the shock of it all, I was just like, well, you know, I mean, I guess it is, it is it's what, what it, it is. is, you know? And, uh, that's, you know, still how I feel about it to this day, mm-hmm. you know? So he's, he's gone and it's just, he's just gone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's gone. Uh, So to bring y'all up to speed just a little bit. So my dad moved, or our dad moved back to Sandusky, finally. Um, And then one day he just called and said, (laughs) (laughs) hey, like, okay, so I usually never answer phone numbers I do not know. Yeah. Ever. I don't do it. This day, I don't know what I was doing, but I answered a phone number that I didn't, that called the house that we lived in. We had moved to, back to South Memphis. Hey, South Memphis. <laughs> we had moved back to South Memphis, and they called on the house phone, and I answered, and I was like, hello. You know, I, normally I would have been at work, I believe, at work or in class. I don't know. I just recently... Um, had Malik, so I was had two children at the time. Answer the phone, hey baby, it's your daddy, and I was like, oh <laughs> hey, can you come get me from the bus station? Excuse me, what bus station? <laughs> like, what bus station? Yeah, I'm here in Memphis. I need you. I need you to come pick me up. And he hadn't told anybody he was coming, and so I instantly called my mama. Yes. Mama, can you believe this nigga is at the bus station <laughs> and he wants me to pick him up? And my mama said, well, go pick him up, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he turned out to, after all this time, you abused your wife, your, well, your ex-wife, uh, mentally tore down your kids, you know, emotionally tore down everybody. And here you are now crawling, knocking on, you know, knocking on the door. Now you need a place to stay. Yeah. So what was your thought process going through that? Um, I was kind of like in disbelief. I was like, what? Um, And uh, but I was like, when you called me, I said, well, just go get him. Yeah. You know, Um, and 
Um, I had recently by that time had um, began a spiritual journey a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. It was at the very beginning of it. And um, uh, I had uh, at that time started forgiving a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And I had forgiven him. Although I never talked to him about it. I just forgave him. I really didn't necessarily ever think I was going to ever have to talk to him again. Because mm-hmm. he, until he called and needed a place to stay, he was still very volatile on the phone when I would say anything. Um, I'll never forget the time when um, you guys were up there for the summer. Mm-hmm. And I was coming to pick y'all up. And he had just had surgery because he had diverticulitis. And he had this big, long cut. And from his uh, from his belly button to like right at his sternum, and um, he was mad because I was coming to get y'all. He knew that y'all couldn't stay. He was at this time back living with his mom, and when I came to get him, I had my mother with me, mm-hmm. and um, came to get y'all. I had my mother with me, and we went up to his mom's apartment, gathering y'all stuff and belongings, and he said something crazy. And uh, got in my face and I told him I would whoop him in front of his mama because I wasn't scared. (laughs) And um, so his mom says something and my mom in turn says something. (laughs) And by this time I was like, y'all, let's get your stuff because, you know, um, because every time I talked to him, he was just so full of it. And so when he called, um, your dad literally had $36 in his pocket and three or four changes of clothes. <clears throat> his mom had passed and he could no longer just um, live with people in Ohio like he had just lived with his mom. Yeah. And um, he treated his mom bad when, you know, she was going through and he didn't necessarily have the best relationship with her. And now she's gone. He spent all of her money that he got from her insurance policy He doesn't have any money, got $36 in his pocket. And he also now is so sick that um, with uh, his kidneys failing that um, he he couldn't even at a point, he couldn't get insurance in Ohio. um, And so he was sick. So when um, he came to the house, um, I told him he literally, he came, I'll never forget. I know exactly when he came. He came June 1st of that year. I told him you got till December 1st to find something, get on your feet and get out of here. Cause you, I'll, I'll give you six months, but in six months you got to get out of here. Um, and, uh, he did. So while he was staying at the house, of course, um, uh, he was meek, mild, you know, can we get back together? No, Girl, sir. no, he didn't. <laughs> Can we get you back? No, never told no, us no, this. No. What? No, we cannot. You are just, you are just here. Boy, you is <laughs> your kidneys failing. I don't want you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, right. I didn't didn't want you when you were well. Now I really don't want you when you're sick. But um, you know, just asking me that kind of stuff, and you know, all of that. And he soon got on, um. And he got on his insurance. He started getting to a point where he could go to a doctor. They put him on dialysis and all that kind of good stuff. He then went 
and enrolled in the uh, Memphis uh, uh, Christian School and started um, uh, started going to school. I can't remember the name of the class school now, but it was a Church of Christ College here in Memphis. And um, in December first, he uh, moved out, and I think that next April he enrolled in the school. And they put him on campus, and he lived. Y'all, y'all know yeah. that he lived out in campus, um, and uh, so he started getting a little bit of money in his pocket because they were giving him a stipend. He was going to different churches, and he was preaching, and they get some little bit of money. Then he was getting his social security, and then that's when I came. Everything a child of God again, uh, everything but the child of God. So it was after he got on his feet again, and, and at least got a semblance. Cause I don't know if y'all remember he coming. He had on a nice suit and yeah, yeah, and all that kind of good stuff. He had a car. I I I sold to him. Yeah, all that kind of good stuff. Um, but uh, uh, you know, just funny when you're down, when you need somebody. Yeah, and then you feel like you get on your feet and you forget, you know. So, yeah. but not that I wanted him to ever thank me for nothing. I just wanted. Let you get on your feet, you know. By all respects, you still are my father's, my children's father. Yeah, I'm gonna let you get on your feet. Once you get on your feet, you don't owe me nothing. I owe you nothing. Yeah, and we can go on about our business. So that's how I took it from that point. Okay. Hi guys, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Blood Girl Manifest Podcast. This is just part one. You'll have to turn in next week for part two, where I continue the conversation with my mother and my sister about domestic abuse and how that affected our lives. Um, so if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can definitely hit us up at blackgirlmanifest at gmail.com. That's a B-L-K, girlmanifest at gmail.com. I am so thankful for you all listening, eternally grateful. And I cannot wait to hear from you guys. Bye. Real niggas linking up.